Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Well, I wouldn't want it to be too perfect every night. It is live after all. Lincoln Center, it sounds very huge and elevated. And that's what it feels like, like once you're working there. Because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are becoming more and more comfortable I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't we don't back away from anything. Welcome to Broadway Bullet, Volume 408, for May 13th, 2010. This is a special bonus episode. We're focusing in on the Planet Connections Festivity. Uh, this festivity is green. They're sustainable. They uh, Every show associates with a charity. There's just so many good things about this, in addition to being a lot of good shows. It runs from uh, June 3rd to the 29th, and that's uh, planetconnectionsfestivity.com. And I'm just going to kind of turn it over because we've got uh, an interview with the founders to talk about the festival. And we got 13 interviews uh, from people associated with the shows, so you can find out a lot of what's going on. And uh, we're actually going to be back with our next episode. It's going to be two weeks from now. We're going to be the last Thursday in May, uh, just taking some time to round up some Tony nominees uh, for our special Tony nominee episode. And uh, we'll see you then. On the boards. And to kind of set up all the information so I don't mangle it horribly, we have got Executive Director Glory Bowen, as well as uh, the Associate Director Carly Robbins to tell you a little bit about Planet Connections. How you doing? Good. You want to introduce yourself so they can connect your voice with your name? I'm Glory Bowen. I'm Carly Robbins. All right. So, your elevator pitch. What's Planet Connections festivity? Planet Connections Festivity is a theater festival that runs throughout the month of June in four different theaters uh, downtown near Astor and Lafayette. And each of the productions in the festivity benefits a charitable organization. So every production is paired with an organization that they have selected themselves that they are raising both money and awareness for. Uh, And besides that aspect, this year every production is implementing a green element into the way that they are either doing their design or their marketing or some area of their Painting the walls green? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. uh, Everyone's going to dress in green and all the sets are going to be green. It's really just because I like the color green. That's what it is. Well, ultimately, it's to try and bring awareness about sustainability in the theater and how even on an independent or indie theater level, everyone can sort of participate from, you know, the very beginning when they design their sets to how they run their auditions, their rehearsals, and up through to their productions. Yes. So this year, besides the festivity being green, we are implementing uh, green elements into all the productions. And Carly has uh, been leading that, and she has um, already held um, a green theater forum in which many of the artists learned lots of tips on what they can do on their budgets to, uh, to create 
eco-friendly, sustainable this theater. This is a small exactly. house, so I hope you're not sustaining on the green stuff by not washing the costumes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's a good point. And perhaps some of our artists would I've choose been, to do that. I've but. been in the past to small theaters where I've been in the front row, and I'm like, well, man. The actor needed to take a bath. Oh, wow. Well. So don't skimp on no. washing the costumes. The idea much. isn't ultimately <laughs> to take away from any of the productions. The idea is ultimately to just think differently about the choices that you make. From the very beginning, like I said, of, of the inception, do you choose a play that has sustainability as part of its... Uh, core belief system? Is it a play about anything like that? Or is it just something that you choose to incorporate into the practice of how you conduct your production? So we don't want anybody to take anything away to not have any sets or for example, not wash their costumes. (laughs) (laughs) But perhaps what they choose to wash their costumes with, what kind of detergent or where they choose to get them laundered or where they purchase them, or if they don't purchase them, if they choose to go to a vintage clothing store or any places like, um, uh, you know, costume shops that recycle lots of clothing and things like that. So it's all about the smarter choices that you make in terms of when you're presented with the question of where do I get my costumes, rather than purchasing new, are there different ways to look about how you can go about making your production a little bit more sustainable? Here's the big question of making yeah. your production more sustainable for, like, you know, small, you know, showcase Absolutely. productions. How much more is this going to cost them? <laughs> cost <laughs> is great. always a factor. Absolutely. <laughs> and ultimately... Um, There are tons of organizations out there that are around for companies to do this. And it's, in fact, I think less expensive than purchasing new. Um, And the festival itself has worked very hard to partner with a bunch of organizations that give our artists uh, special deals. Absolutely. We just made a huge partnership with Build It Green, uh, New York City, which is probably one of the largest organizations that New York has to recycle from film, TV, play, productions, all that kind of stuff into the very wonderful warehouse that they have in Queens. And we've made a partnership with them. They've been very generous with us to allow you know, all of our productions, a wonderful opportunity to work with them and, and get flats and all different kinds of set pieces yeah, and everything at, at 50, bargain basement yeah, prices. 50% off or more. And then we also, of course, have access to materials for the arts for all of our artists, as well as the TDF costume shop. And um, I just actually today I'll give a shout out to uh, Film Biz Recycling, which is another yeah, organization similar to Build It Green. The woman who runs it, Eva Radke, is absolutely lovely and is currently offering. Uh, a pay what you can, which I think very rare for companies like this to be able to offer something like that to come in, and she does something very that's similar. That's really to- dangerous to do it. <laughs> but that's the reason why they do it. They care more about the environment and more about spreading the awareness about sustainability in the arts. To and and they, you know they get all of their their. The, uh, they, they get a lot of p- people walking in, pulling out their you know pockets, emptying them out, and going, "I got a couple. I got ten cents and, and, and a little bit of lint." <laughs> hey, independent theaters got to survive somehow. <laughs> Now, this is your second year, uh, Planet Connections. Yes. Uh, did you notice a, an uptick in show subscription or so show submissions this year? Yeah, definitely. We had a lot more submissions, and thus we were add, able to add two new theaters to our lineup. Uh, so this year we will also be at the Bleecker Street Theaters as well as the Gene Frankel. In addition to, in the, addition Robert. to the Robert Moss. And how many total shows are, are there available for people to see here? 
uh, 50 this year. Five 50. Zero. So we're going we're gonna to hit about 18 of them over over this episode and a couple Fantastic. other snippets and other, other episodes. So just a taste of everything yeah, that's going on. Yeah, wet the appetite, if you will. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So now, is, is there any sort of like a pass to see multiple shows? Or, or, or what is the way audiences can go see and uh, take advantage of the most? There is. Uh, there are passes that um, you can buy. Um, I guess some it's uh, 10... You can buy 10, and then you can buy... Yeah, if you go to our website, it's actually listed very clearly. There's lots of opportunities if people want to go and see multiple shows yes. to, uh, you know, buy extensive passes, including an all-access pass that gets you into mm. all of the shows for free. So we've really tried to, you know... We had so many people last year that wanted to go and see, you know, came to see a show if they knew someone or had heard about it, and then enjoyed everything that the festivity you know, spoke to and, you know, was raising awareness for that they wanted to come back and see uh, so yeah, many shows. So we really tried to honor that this year yeah. by offering lots of those kinds of deals. Yeah, and I think that's important to mention, too, is that there is um, a high quality level in terms of productions, and we do also have a very high return rate in terms of the artists who want to participate. Again, I think it might be a 75% return rate, which is pretty high um, for for a theater festivity. So if you liked something last year that you saw, um, you definitely should take a look at the website because many of those same production companies and directors and groups are doing new productions this year. And you can follow them and see what they're up to this year. Yeah, it's planetconnectionsfestivity.com. It's a really easy website to remember. And e this year, each of our shows uh, gets their own page. So it's really easy to sort of click on them and to read more about them and then you can go, oh, I saw your show last year. It really rocked. I want to see it again this year. All right. So, uh, again, it's June 3rd through June 26th and uh, 50 shows in uh, a little over three weeks and Glory Bowen, Executive Director and Carly Robbins, Associate Director, thank you so much for coming down and telling us all what, the, what this madness is about for uh, all the stuff that's about to follow on this episode. Thank My you. Okay. Thank you. On the boards. Foxtails is a collection of three short plays all about foxes. No, no, no. The, the show's written by Gabrielle Fox. It's three of her short plays, and it runs from June 3rd to June 20th at the Planet Connections Festivity, and we have two of the talented actors in the show here with us, Fred Ruick and Margie Ferris. How are you guys doing? Great. Hey, Michael. How are Good you, Michael? Here. Good. Did I mangle either of your names? Nope. Right All on. right. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to? Well, I guess we know you're male, female. This is easy to determine the name. So, <laughs> first things first. First interview of the day today. Always getting going here. Uh, you were right. Why, why don't you tell us a little bit about Foxtails? Foxtails, three short plays by the brilliant playwright Gabby Fox, Gabrielle Fox, to those who haven't met her yet. <laughs> uh, let's see. We've got Windfluence. Good Friday. And the graveyard shift. And the graveyard shift. All about uh, unusual pairings, people who kind of have an opportunity to maybe take someone else's perspective and wondering, will they? Yeah, people from very different walks of life who, uh, who meet under not-so-strange circumstances. They're, they're some of the uh, locations, I, I think, except maybe for Good Friday, which is in a biblical theme park. <laughs> That's a little odd. <laughs> very funny, though. Um, uh, it sounds like every buddy movie that Hollywood tries to put out. Two different walks of life. <laughs> let's make it, in fact, wow. let's make one white and Will one black. Will there be common ground? Yeah. 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 We shall see. 
I don't know if my uh, my character becomes buddies with uh, with his uh, his uh, his and her uh, co-actor, but I play a uh, I play a transvestite, so that's definitely a stretch for me. Um, yeah, it's been a great deal of fun. I took the role because it was uh, it was a real challenge. It was a real risk. I mean, I was actually you are know, you are you going on method on it? Um, <laughs> yeah, I've been consulting all the transvestites I know, and uh, no, it's it's been really fun. I mean, I'm you know, just using basics, using substitutes. I mean, this is a person who suffered a loss, and the other character is somebody who suffered a loss, and it's not necessarily a play about can they find common ground, but shows they need, I think, to find. They they need to make a connection with somebody. They're they're both uh, alone, and so they have this opportunity to comfort each other, um, or at least to come to some kind of understanding with each other. And whether they do that or not, you know, that's that's to be seen in the uh, in the performance. But it's a great great play. As is Good Friday. I'm not familiar with. Winfluence. Wait, what's your what's your role, Margie? I'm in Winfluence, but before I move on to that, I have to. Tell everyone Fred looks amazing in a pair of high heels. So <laughs> that alone should draw a crowd. Six-inch heels. I couldn't wear them. Um, <laughs> I play an office assistant, and uh, so does my cohort, Jess Eric, in Winfluence. Uh, we share space. We've shared space for 10 years, and we're both going for the same promotion. Very different personalities. Uh, my character is quite the uh, uptight, sickeningly upbeat Kind of lady, um, where my friend, you know, knits vests and is quite depressed and lowly, um, <laughs> and she deserves the job much more than me. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so have either of you worked with the playwright before? This you both have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I first worked with Gabby uh, on this play, and um, and then shortly thereafter was in a. Uh, a black box production of Good Friday that was on with other plays down here at another venue in the in the city down at where Eagles Dare. Uh, last, uh, last, that was last spring, last that sounds May. Right. Yeah. It was the very, the very month after we did this, mm-hmm. or I, I should say I did um, the graveyard shift that was up in April last year upstate. Yeah, where Eagles Dare was a nice little space that unfortunately just closed down, but... Um, mm-hmm. John, oh, John Chatterton's going to persist I elsewhere. Did not know that. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear uh, that. But yeah, I was lucky to work with Gabby on her play Halloween and Darcy and Duke. And mm. thankfully, she likes my work enough, she keeps hiring me. <laughs> and, and what keeps drawing you two back to her? Mm. She's a lovely person. Yeah. Um, so it's the physical appearance. Yeah. I like to, I like <laughs> to admire Gabby's her. Hot. <laughs> Yeah, personality. I would have to say, oh, although right. she is a cutie, <laughs> but yeah, she's just really easy to work with. Um, is very very open to actors' ideas, mm-hmm. directors' ideas. She's very malleable in that sense. Um, I think she, you know, she has her vision as the playwright. But she also is very adept, I think, at giving that over because at some point that has to happen in the process. If a director and an actor, you know, actors are going to do their job, they've got to have some free reign there for interpretation. I mean, that's really what Mm -hmm. it's about. That's why you have different productions of, you know, Shakespearean plays and every other play and somebody else 
bring something new to the table and mm -hmm. something that maybe nobody discovered before and can be really fantastic. Yeah, she allows a lot of room for that. And basically, whenever she sends me a play, there's a character that I want to sink my teeth into because she writes so beautifully. <laughs> so what I, every show with Planet Connections Festivity has a charity. Do you, do you know what the charity's involved with this one yet? Mm -hmm. We do. Broadway Cares. Equity slash, Fights AIDS. Equity Fights AIDS. Yeah. Exactly. Um, your character. I, I haven't heard of them. Let's just no. <laughs> All right, goes. So probably here's like we find it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times we discuss the charity very well, but I have a feeling our listeners are, are fully aware of all the <laughs> wonderful services that Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. Um, for the two of you, I'm always kind of curious. I, I understand that both of you have both of you for your day jobs do something a little outside of the typical waitering and temping. So I'm kind of curious to hear, hear how you guys you know, <laughs> put your food on the table each day. Oh, Why um, you go about aspiring for your art. Fair enough. Preschoolers put food on my table. I work as a licensed speech-language pathologist in various preschools. In oh, for a second I thought you worked in like a, you know, a factory <laughs> yeah, in China. Yeah, I make them work hard for me. <laughs> Careful, I think they have nukes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I have a trunk full of toys in my car, and I drive around to um, <laughs> scare little children. No, I go around to preschools and homes and provide speech and language therapy to uh, kids with delays and disorders. Cool. And and you, Fred? Uh, I don't consider it a day job necessarily because it, it is an acting gig, but it's something I never imagined I'd fall into. But I do uh, uh, – I work over at Metropolitan Opera doing what's called supernumerary work. And I think does the that, literal – Does that require a cape? Uh, sometimes. Hopefully. <laughs> Requires sometimes a cape, it, it sounds, body paint. It, it sounds like a super accountant. <laughs> I think uh, it literally... I'll yeah. fix your taxes. Da, um. da, da, you got a bigger return. <laughs> I could go no. for that. Uh, yeah, it's, I think it's like the opera's term for extras, really. And I think it was born Damn, years those ago. Operas, they just can't call in the same thing <laughs> as everybody else. <laughs> so whenever they require, you know, ten or twelve or a hundred people to be on stage carrying a shovel or a spear or something, um, you know, I'm one of those those people on stage doing that. And it's it's a great great deal of fun. Um I mean I, I kinda keep checking myself every once in a while and say, Hey, I'm on the Met Opera stage and you look out there and you realize, wow, that's a 4,400-seat audience. Mm. How do you find this job? Was Through a fellow uh, actor who I worked on a on a. Oh, so it wasn't a wanted. It's like, supernumeraries needed. Well, that's, and you were like, hey. That's how he found it. The they had a want ad out, I think, in, the, in their casting notice. And I went to an audition for War and Peace and their, for their 2007 season, and I got it. And it was a shoe-in for me, I felt, anyway, because I was an ROTC in high school for four years. So I already knew a left face, right face, all that. <laughs> that's pretty much the drill they put us through when we showed up. They were looking for all their, their marching regiments. Oh, that was, so Rotsy trained you for the Met. They did. Thank you, Rotsy. <laughs> <laughs> weird, weird, ironic twist. All right. So once again, the show you're currently doing is uh, Fox Tales from the playwright Gabby Fox. Mm -hmm. uh, it runs from June 3rd through June 20th at Planet Connections Festivity, and you can find out more information on specific dates, um, performance times, blah, 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 at planetconnectionsfestivity.com. Uh, Fred Ruick and Margie Ferris, thank you so much for coming by, and I wish you the best of luck with the run. Thank Thanks. you very much, Michael. Okay. And uh, go save some taxes. <laughs> on the boards. How would you feel if you were a liberal in a very small Texas town? 
I imagine you'd feel like good, lonely people, <laughs> uh, which is the title of uh, the show that's being presented by MT Works at the uh, Playwright Connections Festivity. And we have playwright Carol Carpenter here with us, um, who is also planning on singing a few tunes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, director Deanna Martin. How are you doing? It's great. great. Would, you, would you like Waylon or Willie? <laughs> <laughs> or more like Karen. Oh, Karen! You know, I didn't even know who Karen Carpenter was until I was about 20. That That's where I come from. <laughs> that gives you an idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we get started first, maybe just introduce yourselves and your uh, name so people can connect the voice to the... Great. Yep, my name is Carol Carpenter, and I am the playwright. And uh, I'm Deanna Martin, and I'm the director. All right, Very happy so to be so. First things on the plate here, tell us about Good Lonely People. Great. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the roots of the play, and then I'm going to tell you what you know what actually sort of play is about because they're very connected. Um, I grew up on the West Texas New Mexico border, about two hours north of Mexico, and just uh, really a hop, a skip, and a jump from George Bush's hometown. And basically, between my town and George Bush's hometown, you've got oil wells, you've got cattle, and you've got churches. So this is sort of the setting of Good Lonely People, and. My family were were sharecroppers during the Depression era. Sounds and, a lot like Montana, yeah. where I'm from, except for instead of churches, <laughs> it's bars. Right. And, right. There, and there's no oil. We got no money. <laughs> yeah, you so. had a lot more fun than I had. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my family growing up were incredibly poor. The kind of poverty that I think our generation really doesn't grasp is possible. And basically, you know, because of that poverty, they, they were Democrats. And they really understood sort of what the Democrats did for the family. And over the last 30 or 40 years, that area has become increasingly right-wing, right-wing. And my family has stayed Democrat. Um, but there's been kind of two strains of that of that uh, democratic tradition, and one is the social conservatives. Well, you who keep s- trying to wipe them out, and <laughs> the ones that survive get tougher. Right, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's where the AK-47 yeah, comes yeah, later in yeah. the Yeah, yeah. So there are sort of these two strands, the, the Democrats who are social conservatives and the Democrats who actually are liberals, and that would be my mom and dad, and they're the only ones basically in the whole town. And then I was born, and I was gay, and this is the family that I was were born in. At birth? I was gay at birth. It was not a <laughs> did choice. You, did you come out going, I'm out! I'm out! <laughs> I, did. I said, I'm out of the closet and I'm out of this town. <laughs> so, you know, those are the, the kind of the people and the, and the history of these folks. And the play itself is 2008. My mother decides that she is going to become a political activist. And um, she starts working for the Obama campaign and she decides that she's going to throw an Obama rally on the night of the election. And I, as her daughter, thought that, one, this was incredibly heroic, and two, sociologically incredibly fascinating, because I can't fathom who is going to come to this party. (laughs) And, uh, you know, our town is, if you're Mexican, yeah, (laughs) if you're Mexican, you're Democrat, and if you're white, you're Republican. So I think, you know, who's going to come to this party? Because I know my town. There's nobody going to be there. So I decide I'm going to go down, and I'm going to surprise my parents. I'm going to support them, and I'm going to watch this social experiment unravel. Um, so that that's where the play idea came from. But then I realized I didn't have a, a real conflict. I had a joke and I needed a conflict. And the conflict that, that I realized was was rich with drama was what if 
a couple of my relatives who really saw themselves as Democrats because of their history, but who were social conservatives, decided to come to this party as well. And they think they're coming to support my mother and to really celebrate this election night, but instead the night gets hijacked by Proposition 8. And this, in a nutshell, is good, lonely people. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I, I think it's a really uh, – there's so many fascinating elements to it because it, it, it sets aside the whole thing of whether you're left-wing, right-wing, uh, Democrat, Republican, whatever. And, and really just what, what fascinated me about the play and, uh, was just what are your actions that you do? Because people can wear all the buttons and go to all the marches and have all the stickers on their bumpers. But at the end of the day, what is it that your actions are doing? That, that speak, as, as the saying goes, so much louder than words. And um, how does that affect the other people around you, whether it's your family or whatever? And so, and, and like, and it, like a lot of other family, you know, dramas, there's, you're going to find the comedy and the dark humor and the, and, and the, and the tragedy all within, within, within all of it, you know, and that's what gives it all of that, that fun ride for, hopefully for the audience as well as for the actors and yeah. and for me the director I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> have a lot of fun. Well given that this clearly has its its roots in uh in your your family and mm -hmm. this real event uh how much work was it fictionalized? I mean, how mm -hmm. much? I guess you think. How much did you fictionalize yeah. the characters, and how yeah. tricky was that for you? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the aunt and uncle who arrive—they're um, kind of an amalgamation of many of my relatives. Playwrights and, use such big words. Right? Amalgamation. <laughs> that has how many syllables in it? Oh, wait a <laughs> right. But I did, you know, in reality, my my. This is going to confuse you, I'm sure. My mother's and her sister married my dad and his brother, right? And so I, I chose an aunt and uncle who, who are literally the, the sibling of my mom, and each one of them are a sibling of my mom and dad, which, which makes the stakes even higher because of how interconnected the family is. Is so, this Arkansas? <laughs> I get a slam exactly. two states at exactly. once. <laughs> but, but, you know, the, the events of the night are completely fictional. But the history of these people, I think, are very real. And I, I think for me, that's, that's, what, that's what comes alive about the play is you really feel like you've been transported to this place that is just really rich with, with history and with relationships between characters who love each other very, very deeply but who have this conflict that they just can't seem to overcome. And on this night, they're going to have to do their best to try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and one underlying foundation of the play is that despite all of the things that go on throughout the evening, there's so much of, you mm -hmm. know, emotional, like, for a metaphor, like emotional frying pans being flown back <laughs> and forth at each other. But underneath all of that is this love, this yeah. this love that's, that's, that's meant underneath, which, yeah. you know, you see in oftentimes the closest of families, you mm -hmm. know, that's, that's why things hurt even more sometimes because it's from people that we love right. uh, that it's coming from, you yeah. know, but it, it's, it's at, you know, and so that, that's another thing to, that I as a director enjoy being able to play with, but that also is so wonderful about this script is that still you have all of that love underneath. And so yeah. it, it makes the stakes so much higher when, when, yeah. you know, when you have that. Otherwise, then why would anybody care? You know, right. it's a bunch of ornery people. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I mean, I think it's actually a very hopeful play. Um, uh, yeah. You know, it, it certainly doesn't get tied up in ribbons and bows at the end. 
Um, but you really get the sense that this is a family that they're going to somehow overcome and still love each other, even though there's this issue that you have two, you have people on both sides of, and they're not going to budge in terms of what they believe, but that they're going to find a way to continue on as a family and love each other. And I think that's something that you don't see a lot of on the stage is sort of that hopefulness and this sense of like, wow, families can be a wonderful thing in the midst of all of their drama. Yeah. Wow. Families can really love each other. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So what charity um, is the show attached to with the Planet Connections Festivity? Parents and Friends of Lesbian and Gays, so PFLAG. Um, and this was uh, an organization that my mother was actually very involved in when I came out of the closet. And I think so it's when a, you were born. Exactly, when I was born. <laughs> That's right. In 1974, my mother founded PFLAG. <laughs> I can tell. She cries when I put the pink booties on. That's right. She likes the blue booties. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. Um, it's but, a wonderful you know, organization. Yeah, in all seriousness, it um, it's an organization that really helps families families who, who don't, oftentimes who don't comprehend this issue, it really helps them. You know, we forget that parents, we, as, as, as a gay person, I had, you know, 18 years to struggle with the reality of my sexuality and to come out of the closet. And then we expect our parents to hear that we're gay and go, oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> and the reality is they need a coming out period too. And I think that that's really what PFLAG does is it helps, it helps parents and friends and family through a process that is oftentimes very difficult and painful. So it's a wonderful organization. And I'm, I'm proud to be to be uh, to have this benefit them. I am too. I mean, I'm I'm thrilled about it because I mean, I, I you know, like we we've discussed before. I mean, mm-hmm. I have family members that that are gay, and I know that other family members are. It, it, it would be so much easier if everyone could go if there mm-hmm. was a P flag, like you know where they are. I'm not going to mention where that is, but uh, for their sake. But, but it's like you know. Uh, it just it would I think it's it's there's something so healing about it mm. because it allows uh, people to be who they are and then allow their families to embrace them mm-hmm. and and the people around them and it just it's it's, it's a very positive thing mm-hmm. so I was very delighted when MT Works uh, yeah. and you know you guys chose that because I thought that yeah. it was very important yeah all right so uh, uh, Good Lonely People runs from June fourth through the twenty sixth. For specific times, people can go to planetconnectionfestivity.com or I'm guessing at mtworks.org. Yep. For the Correct. site. Yeah, Correct. Absolutely. And Carol, just out of curiosity, is there any place people can get a hold of you if they're interested in um, mounting good lonely people in a small town in Texas? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, my website is uh, CD, that's C for Carol, D for Denise, cdcarpenter.com. Um, and my, we- my uh, email address is there on my website. All right. Well, I wish we could talk longer, but uh, we got a lot of shows to cover here for the festival, and wish you the best of luck. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much. Thank you. On the boards. If there ever was an oxymoron I've heard of, it's an unemployed motivational speaker. And that is the main character of Love Me, a new comedy uh, being presented by Funny Sheesh Productions. And that'll be from June 10th through June 25th. And we have got writer-producer Jason Grossman here to talk about Love Me. How you doing? Good. Hello. How you doing, Michael? <laughs> Good. So, well, first things first, uh, your elevator pitch. What do you, you know, when you bump into somebody you don't know, you, you got only got a few seconds to try to get them to come see your show. Uh, well, I'd say it is a uh, self-conscious comedy in three acts. Um, it uh, moves lightning quick. It's a full-length play, but uh, we packed a lot of um, 
a lot of comedy into it. And uh, it's about this uh, this uh, nice guy, kind of uh, well, very neurotic, and uh, just going through the trials and tribulations of finding the the one woman, basically, in his life. And uh, basically, he's uh, trying too hard. And he, uh, through a couple of uh, very unusual characters, uh, his uh, lackey um, lug of a, of a friend, Tom, and a womanizer uh, named John, who he meets through uh, very unusual circumstances, um, is uh, able to kind of figure out what is right and wrong. It's usually what is wrong and uh, in his quest to find the right girl. So so as playwright, how long have you been working on this show? I uh, actually started this somewhere in the uh, late 90s. It was inspired by uh, my sketch comedy group called Funny Sheesh, and we performed uh, for many years at the various little uh, cabarets and comedy clubs in New York City. And... Um, so you started this over 10 years ago. I, I take you have a problem setting deadlines. Yes. <laughs> and the first draft actually was, uh, uh, was completed probably in 98, and it uh, was about five and a half hours. Oh, but, but I understand you got it trimmed down to a brisk four and a half. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, that I figured I just could not look at it uh, anymore. It was uh, everything and, and anything. It was just semi-slightly autobiographical, depending on who uh, who's asking. And uh, I did it, uh, dust it off last year and, and trimmed it down. It's actually under, it's about an hour and 45 minutes with an intermission. So <laughs> it's more serviceable and palatable. Uh, yeah. <laughs> very happy with that. So... What is it like serving as both producer and playwright on your show, uh, finding that uh, third eye to help guide it? Uh, it is, uh, well, luckily I have a, like a great crew uh, involved. I have my, my director is Daryl Bowling, who's one of the founding directors, uh, founding fathers of Manhattan Theater Source in the West Village. And uh, I have Laura Schlackmeyer, who is the uh, production um, stage manager. Uh, but... For me, yeah, it's a lot. I mean, I was just relieved that I would not have to memorize anything or be off book or, or because I used to be in a lot of my uh, pieces that I could just sit back and, and uh, maybe write some checks and, and it would be a breeze. And uh, it's not exactly uh, like that. There's a lot of stuff, a great deal of stuff. And uh, I, I, I'm, looking <laughs> I'm looking forward to the point where it's like, wow, I can just sit back and put my feet up. That's so. after it's over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or after the, the first review. But uh, so it, it's, uh, it's a bear. And, uh, I mean, I do love it. I, it's been a great ride already uh, the first few months uh, preparing uh, everything. And, and we just had auditions and, and just seeing people uh, read the, the words and, um, and uh, starting to gather the, uh, the rest of the crew. It's really been terrific. I love it. So now with Planet Connection Festivity, every show has a charitable organization. And uh, so what's yours with this? This is Big Brothers, Big Sisters of New York City. And uh, when I first uh, uh, contemplated uh, uh, submitting this into the festival, I was thinking, wow, I, I don't have, uh, I don't know what possibly could be uh, the charity that we would represent. There's some just uh, across the board. Uh, so many charities are, are well represented. But uh this kind of was, uh, after looking at the script again, it was a no-brainer. I, I don't want to give anything away, but it fits. It fits uh, all too well. 
<laughs> and Big Brothers and Big Sisters is a great organization. Uh, yeah. Actually, one of my first very uh, CD projects that I produced was a benefit for Big Brothers and Big Sisters of Montana. Oh, okay. Where I'm from, so uh, I definitely have a, a fondness for the organization. We're looking forward to, uh, to working with them. And uh, uh, we just re- uh, initially started the, uh, the communications with them. But uh, it's weird because the, the connection in the play is a very dark, practical joke. Um, but, uh, hey, if it, if it raises any awareness or funds, uh, then that's a good thing, right? And <laughs> justify the means, please. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, do you have anything in the pipeline after this, or is it going to be another 12 years till your, your next play? <sighs> God, I hope not. Um, I uh, probably have uh, an evening of one acts that are coming up, but I, I do have the sequel to this one. It's, uh, it's the online uh, dating aspect of somebody who might be a little bit older. Maybe that's even more autobiographical, I think. So I have a lot of... Uh... Do you troll harmony <laughs> <laughs> Wow. No, I'm making a note now, though. <laughs> I did not... That's a good idea. Uh, no, just the, the personal experiences were just horrifying enough and fruitful enough for the, uh, for the next one. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. All right. Well, again, uh, Love Me is playing from the 10th of June to the 25th of June, and people can go to uh, planetconnectionsfestivity.com for more information on the specific schedule, or you have your own website for it, uh, lovemetheplay.com. That's right. Easy to remember. All right. And uh, Jason, is there anywhere somebody can get a hold of you if there's a regional theater company out there somewhere interested in kind of perusing the script for this? Sure. Uh, I would say the best is uh, email is funny sheesh at gmail.com. That's funny, the word funny, and then S-H-E-E-S-H at gmail. And I'll make sure to put that on the website, too, if uh, people are looking for it. Thank you. All right. So, Jason Grossman, uh, best of luck in Planet Connections festivity, and uh, have fun. Thank you very much, sir. On the boards. And the new absurdist musical, Give Till It Hurts, being presented at Planet Connections Festivity. Uh, the, the show takes a look at what happens if consumerism goes too far, uh, literally till it hurts with uh, body parts and whatnot. And we have uh, producer and co-writer Mayor Mansouri here to talk about the show. How are you doing? Good morning, Mr. Michael. Good <laughs> morning. So uh, tell us a little bit about Give Till It Hurts. Well, it's... It's a wonderful opportunity for us to reflect and not take ourselves too seriously, but really kind of see how, in this particular case, Mother Gwen, who was a former St. Paul paper pulp pageant princess, who kind of has a few unfulfilled dreams a la Gypsy, um, <laughs> finds herself broken alone and deadbeat husband and three mortgages and two gorgeous daughters, she starts thinking to herself, um, maybe there's some cash to be made here. And, uh, you know, starts with a few difficult decisions, like maybe selling their hair, and then before you know it, maybe a couple of eggs, and before you know it, the womb is up for rent. And it's uh, it's a dark comedy, you can say, Mm -hmm. but it's also an opportunity to kind of look at, you know, where and how far we'll go with merchandising of the self and the soul. So how did you come (laughs) to be involved with this production? I've actually been tracking this incredible Dr. Dorothy Marsick and Frank Sanchez, the composer, um, and their careers in the last 10 years. I I produced children's theater, but I also wanted to see what kind of social action, social uh, uh, thinking theater there is out there that can be in the form of musicals. And her big hit was Respect, is Respect, the musical, History of Women, and sort of been tracking her. And when this opportunity came along to help, uh, along with uh, Frank Sanchez, who's this incredible composer who can sort of play 
you know, 50 decades of musicals at a, at a, at a second's pace. I uh, thought, well, I want to I get on the, the side of helping create the piece. So, yeah. So how long have you been involved with this? This, this is uh, our, our second year as we've sort of write, written, rewritten songs and stories and characters. And, uh, and now we're entering this wonderful festival, which I think is very like-minded, this Planet Connections, which kind of really sees eye to eye at the core of what we want to be about. So what uh, every show has, like, a charity that they're involved with. I'm kind of curious. What, what, what's yours? And well, does, it, and does we, it relate? It does relate. <laughs> Amnesty International is, is the direction she wants to go with Dorothy and, and Frank because they really wanted to see that there is a, 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 a look at how we consume things and how do we help um, in sort of the excesses we have in the world and those who don't. So, yeah. So with all the you know organ donor scandals like think happening that all over the, 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 yeah. the, the, the that was that any inspiration behind some of the writing or did as those scandals kind of came up did they they cause you to reflect on what's happening in the show it's, it's so many layers of that for sure I think we can see that there's some direct connections yeah. to these scandals but I think it's it's in general seeing you know everything we're doing from the way we're selling television and ideas on television and how we peddle ourselves physically through reality or other types of television, as well as just, uh, you know, our standard of beauty, as well as the idea of uh, how far do we have to go till we sort of feel our nerve endings. To do that and make you laugh is quite an experience. And this wit that Dr. Dorothy has and Frank have is really um, what makes this go, okay, I can stomach two hours of being (laughs) forced to think. Yeah. So have you had any stage readings or anything leading up to this? Or? We're very fortunate. We've had uh, the pleasure of bringing along um, the genius of uh, Hinton Battle, three-time Tony winner, and he's directing it. And so we've been um, starting the process of uh, doing a first and second level of readings, getting ready for this uh, July, August, or June, I should say, our June performances at Planet Connections. So, yeah, it's, it's now coming to a point where we can get it on, a, on its feet and look at how it sounds with, a, with an audience. So I understand you're still waiting on your your specific dates and times, so people can definitely find the schedule of what's going on with that at uh, planetconnectionsfestivity.com. Right. And um, and I believe there's also more. Is there more information about the show on Dorothy Marsick's website as well? Correct, Dorothy so, Marsick Productions. So then that's d o r o t h y m a r c i c dot com. Correct. For that, so um, well, great, and we're going to kind of wrap this up with playing uh, a song from "Give an Egg" from the thing. Do you want to set up what this is? This there any is setup the, needed for this song? It's gone her? so far off the edge. The woman has lost her mind. This woman has tried everything. She's paying off his debts. The mafia's after her, and she finally has a chance to figure out how to sell her daughter's eggs. So this is the song "Give an Egg." All right. So give till it hurts at Planet Connection Festivity. Uh, Mayor Mansouri, thanks so much for coming thanks, by. Michael. And uh, while you head out the door, we're going to listen to Give an Egg. Or, or what did you say? Give an Egg. It is Give an Egg. I got <laughs> yeah. that right. That's, that sounds odd. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Michael. <laughs> okay. See you out there. Yep. Don't get ornery, give an egg, give an egg, give an egg. 
us most And don't speak to us of toast Oh come on, you'd hate to see us beg Give an egg, give an egg, give an egg Give an egg, give an egg And we don't mean with nutmeg We'll give eight thousand bucks now Hoping someone will get preg Give an egg, give an egg, give an egg Give a few, give a lot We are dying to get bought Pretty plain, looks no matter Taller, shorter, thinner, fatter Give an egg, give an egg, give an egg You'll be screamed, you'll be poked But your body will be cloaked we find out your best song and IQ. Give an egg, give an egg, give an egg. We are desperate to multiply. If you help us to fertilize, all we care about is serving parents who are so deserving. Anthropologist Theatre Company will be presenting Another Place as a staged reading for the Planet Connections Festivity on June 24th. The show deals with, uh, as I talked to them pre-hand, uh, beforehand, uh, the capacity for change is broad, but we'll get into more detail. We have got Melissa Mashido, the director and artistic director for The Anthropologist, and Kareem Muasher, actor. Did I get that right? Yeah, you got it. All right. So I guess first off is to tell us a little bit about what is Another Place. Another Place is an ensemble-devised show that we are in the midst of creating, um, really born out of this seed of panic, perhaps, about <laughs> the environment and what's going on and being in the midst of uh, 2010, where... The environment is, is very much a hot-button topic and thinking about what is going to happen in our lifetime, what's going to happen in you know our children and grandchildren's lifetime if we have them, and really f feeling like we needed to do something on a personal level to, to answer these questions. And the big question was, do we have the capacity for change? Because really, any question when you boil it down is about, do I have the ability to change my behavior, to change my thought process, to be able to make a difference? And, you know, we, we have developed a lot of bad habits as individuals, as a culture, 
And that's really what we're examining in the show. All right. So, uh, Kareem, what's your role in the show? My role is yet to be determined uh, because we're, we're creating the play uh, from scratch. So we've been playing a lot of different characters and, and roles. Uh, I played Nixon one week and uh, Columbus the next and a lizard on another day. He's a very good lizard. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, so, are, are so we're go, finding are you, are you it. Are you going for the Geico Gecko's job? <laughs> he could. <laughs> you know, really, right now, because we're in the early phases of development and in this exploratory phase, um, it's just about gathering material, gathering influences, and kind of, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about the issues and scientific fact and what's going on with water and what's going on with carbon emissions and cap and trade, and now it's about filtering that information through um different lenses. So right now we're in the discovery of the new world with Columbus in 1492 um, and bouncing all around in different influences, different time periods, trying to find something that sticks, but also a way that we can look at the big picture through a really focused viewpoint and also allow us and the audience to have some distance uh, that's important because we're already talking about these really big pressing issues in the newspaper. And it's about, our show is about finding a place where we can look at the issues without feeling panicked and, and being able to have that time and space with, within which to take a deep look at who we are as, as people and what we're going to do. So now I know every show has like a... a, a a charity fundraiser that they're doing this for. What's the charity you guys picked? We are uh, hoping to work with Grow NYC, which was formerly had a very uh, sort of heavy acronym, CENYC, but they do uh, a whole wide variety of uh, programming around the five boroughs, a lot of recycling initiatives, education initiatives, teaching people how to do composting, doing textile recycling at uh, farmer's markets, um, and they're really hands-on, which we like. Um, and they're actually one of, hopefully, many organizations that the anthropologists will be partnering with uh, over the course of the next year. This is our first phase of development. We hope to produce the, the full production in April 2011. And along with that, we are looking to partner with environmental organizations from around the city and even beyond the scope of New York City, to both get um, resources and information and also to encourage people, you know, once they've seen the show and hopefully are called to action uh, to make a change in their own life, that they can have different avenues with which to do that. And hopefully those environmental organizations are going to provide us with those avenues. All right, so Kareem, what? Uh, how long have you been? Is this how long you've been with the show? Is it, I mean, I guess you're just writing it, so. Yeah, I've been know. with it from the beginning. Um, so we started at the beginning of April. Yeah, uh, I suppose the the original idea for the show uh, came before I was involved. Mm -hmm. The idea of, of basing around the environment or or our capacity for change. Um, and so I've been with them from the beginning. I worked on their previous show called For the Love of. Back and, in February. Uh, back in February, so it's great to continue that relationship and keep creating together. 
And two things I think that are unique about the the project, because I know we're speaking in like these really big, uh, big picture terms, is for one thing, working on it with an ensemble, we have six actors, three of whom are company members of the anthropologist, so who've been with the company for between two and three years, is the ability to really tailor the show to both tailored to the show to the actors and that the the show that comes up off the f- rehearsal floor is completely dictated by by what the actors bring to the room. So recently actually we discovered that Kareem is a stilt walker and so is one of the other actors in the company. So I think maybe By golly, we'll write yeah. some stilts. I know. Exactly. It was like, okay. oh, Christopher Columbus on, on stilts. stilts. <laughs> and and the other thing that makes it perhaps makes this show unique is that everyone in the artistic team uh, from the actors to our we have a resident lighting designer and a resident dramaturg and um, our producing consultant everyone has chosen uh, to make a green habit to to reevaluate something in their own life that they wanted to to change to be more eco-friendly and so we've been uh, monitoring those mm. decisions and sort of tracking our progress and also where we we have encountered some challenges, whether in other people's perceptions or act, acts, you know, when we bring our reusable coffee mug into the coffee store and they're like, what? You want me to, you want me to fill it? Um, or just our own challenges, like one of the actors said, okay, I'm, I'm not going to use any more plastic containers, only biodegradable containers. Well, that's a huge challenge in New York City. So she's been documenting how she's been getting around that and her experiences, trying to bring in her own to-go containers. What was yours, Kareem? You had to yeah, I, it started simple. It was just to unplug my uh, adapters in my house, my cell phone adapter, my computer adapter. But then, uh, you know, I mean, the great thing about working on this show is that we've all been influencing each other. So I've Picking started, started composting and... and uh, and you had posted a thing on your Facebook account about uh, wanting to get a bento box so you wouldn't have to use uh Well, my new thing so. this week, I'm very excited. It's coming in the mail. I had to have it shipped. So, you know, it's like <laughs> weighing the scales. But I'm getting a, um, it's like a Swiss Army knife, but it's got a knife and a fork and a spoon. So I was going into the deli all the time to buy lunch at work and thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm throwing away so many plastic spoons and forks. And it, you know... Nightmares about my grave being filled with plastic <laughs> utensils. <laughs> so I'm I'm going with the the Swiss Army. And it's amazing the reaction you get from people when you would say, "Oh, I don't need a plastic fork," or you know, "Please don't wrap that bagel in like three different types of paper." I don't need a plastic yeah. bag. But you went kind of hardcore. You you're biking now. I've started biking all over the city. I'm trying to eventually not buy a subway pass at all. So that's been challenging. You know, the subways run whether you're on it or not. But that's anyway, true. we don't have time to get into this But um so um another place is on June twenty fourth. Yep. And uh if you want to find out more information, you can go to planetconnectionfestivities.com or you have your own website. Oh, yes. Like Theanthropologists.org. So that's plural anthropologists for Yes, we are yeah. plural. But check it out. We have a lot of information on the show as well as the organizations that we're partnering with, our roundtable of scientific and community stakeholder mm. uh, advisors who we have our first meeting on Wednesday and other ways to get involved in the in the process. All right. Well, Melissa Moshito and Kareem Muasher, thank you so much for stopping by and have a great time with uh, putting the production together. Thank you. Thank you. On 
on the boards. It's always a tough thing when a parent or somebody in the family is experiencing medical hardship and one of the kids is forced to take on a caretaker position and it's uh, not talked a lot about in our society but in uh, Sunrise Sunset or Breakfast with Julia one woman show that is exactly the subject that is discussed and we have director Nicole Potter here with us today to discuss the show how are you doing I'm fine oh, wow that's louder than I thought it was going to be okay <laughs> <laughs> so uh What's your involvement? Tell us a little bit about the show. A little more well, than what I said. Julia Rand was an actress in New York, and her parents were getting older in uh, New Jersey. And then um, her mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and it progressively got worse. And at a certain point, Julia, who was an only child, had to make this incredibly difficult decision to go home and care for her mother. Her father had died. And while she was doing this, um, she wrote some journal entries about it. And her mother died in 2004 of the Alzheimer's. Um, and then uh, Julia was trying to decide what to do with her life. And she went back to school and finished her BA, which she had never done before. And then she dusted off the, this journal and realized that there was really a play in, this, uh, in the way that it was written. Because it's written from the point of view of, like, this woman is sitting at breakfast, like her only the opening line of the play is um, "Thank God for the for the New York Times, or I would probably shoot myself." I mean, <laughs> because that's her that's her only kind of connection to the world and uh, the outside world, and the rest of her life is dealing with her mother. So she turned the uh, the journey, the last few months of her mother's illness, and then her own grief process and recovery into this play. Um, and it, it's it's a one woman play. It's got a lot of humor in it, but it also has got a lot of um, pathos and politics in it as well. So so how did you come to be involved with the show as a director? Well, um, Julia went back to Marymount Manhattan College um, after many years. She had been at Boston University, I think, never finished her degree, went right into working professionally, went back after her mother died to Marymount, and I happened to be an on the adjunct faculty there, and the chair, Mary Fleischer, um, you know, when uh, when Julia said she was looking for a director for uh, Planet Connections festivity, Mary suggested me, even though Julia and I had not met at school. Um, and uh, and so uh, Julia and I met and we connected. And in fact, um, as I was saying to you earlier, um, I happened to be going through a similar journey myself. Um, my uh, My mother became really sick and we didn't know what it was last summer. And I had to quit my, my regular job and go and try to take care of her and deal with the difficulties of that. So when Julie asked me to do this, I understood what part of the journey was. And while we've been working together, my, my mother actually died. And so now I, I am really going through the journey of the play, the, the what do you do after caretaking is no longer your primary job, you know? So it's, um, it's really interesting. And it's really interesting also that the play is set in 2004, which seems like it's almost today, but it's not today. There's the politics. It's very different than it is today. So just, you know, the, the outside objects that she connects to, the, 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 the thing that's going on in the world, it makes you go, oh, yeah, that's what was going on then. It's real interesting, something so close to the present and yet not quite the present. So, yeah. So what charity is... Uh, is are you using for it's the it's the Alzheimer's Foundation and um, the proceeds will go to that and um, you know because Julia's very since that's what her mother died of she's very very interested in supporting more research in that cause so um, and um, and I I, I I come into the project and I support that I mean it's not my it's, I didn't originate it so yeah 
So what is it like directing a one-person show? Is it, well, I think that is it a different type of direction than working with other shows? I mean, in, in, in well, it's more in, it's more intense, you know, because you don't have other actors that are. It, it's very one on one, and so I mean, um, when it's going really well, you feel so connected to the other person, and the time flies by. When it's not going really well, you know, you can't turn your attention to some other detail. It's just the two of you together. But on the other hand, it gives you a lot of opportunity to work on like the nuanced emotional journey um, that, that, that's going on just for that one character because that one character's got to bring the whole thing home, you know? Um, and so we really talk a lot about developing the script together and um, about um, just... There's a lot of stuff in it where it seems like she's emotionally reacting to something like the presidential election of 2004, but the subtext is that that's the outside object. She's really reacting to what's going on with her mother or her, her feelings of loss. So you've got to somehow, you know, make it, find the tone that isn't, this isn't a ho-hum political preachy thing. This is really about this woman's um, internal emotional journey, but it's, it's displayed sometimes through uh, what's going on in 2004 outside world. So um, it, it's fun, though, I mean, to, to work with one person like this. is really get to know her really well. She says we should write a play about our rehearsal <laughs> process. <laughs> uh, there we're, we're going into the navel gazing. <laughs> yeah, well, <Right>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Sunrise Sunset, or Breakfast with Julia, runs. Uh, it's playing on June 12th, 21st, and 23rd. That's right. Uh, and we're having a talk back on the 21st, too, So in, in one of the lounges. And it's at the uh, Gene Frankel Theater. Yep. Which is on Bond Street, 24 Bond Street, yeah. Right, and people can go to get all the specific information at planetconnectionsfestivity.com. That's right, that's right. And Nicole Potter, I thank you so much for stopping by. And well, thank you, Michael. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, bye. On the boards. Clandestine is a collection of six new works from six different playwrights being presented by the New Ground Theater Collective at the Planet Connections Festivity from June 3rd to the 26th. And uh, they're not going to tell you anything about Clandestine. <laughs> but we do have Rosebud Baker and uh, Mari- Marielle Matero, uh, which are founding co-members of the New Ground Theater Collective, to talk to you a little bit about uh, the show as, as far as they can and about the New Ground Theater Collective. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. You want to state your name so people can connect uh, the name with your voice? I'm Marielle. And I'm Rosebud Baker. All right. So uh, I guess what can you tell us about Clandestine that isn't top secret? Well, Clandestine is a collection of six one-acts, as you mentioned, um, Michael, and uh, we have several different playwrights um, who are well-known in the indie theater scene, Uh, Duncan Duncan Plaster, Nandita Shinoy, Alex Goldberg, Jonathan Wallace, and of course, um, Glory Bowen has one of the pieces uh, in Clandestine, who is, of course, the executive director of Planet Connections Theater Festivity. So um, we're lucky in that we have so many uh, well-known playwrights and names connected um, that we can pull off something like it's a secret and um, <laughs> and you know can and be pretty confident that people are going to show up um, because of the quality of work that these playwrights have churned out before and and continue to churn out. So and also our directors, we are working with six different directors, and they're amazing. And we're really, really lucky to be working with them. Um, 
so it's it's pretty exciting to be working with a bunch of different people. Michael um, Schwartz, yeah. Michael Schwartz was AD, of course, on Sunday in the Park with George on Broadway. And Luke Harlan, uh, AD'd on uh, Kaufman's 33 Variations. So, um, Do they know what they're going to be directing? Yes. Or is that- <laughs> yes, they're they fully do. aware of their, <laughs> their plays that they're directing. <laughs> Good question. Are actors just given sides like, yeah. uh, you know, Rodgers and Hammerstein gives where they don't get to see the whole script, only what they're going to say? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's very uh, experimental in that way. We're actually just holding auditions in the theater. <laughs> No. no. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Newground Theater Collective. How did you guys get started? This is your first production, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yes, it is. Yes. Yeah, we had a reading series um, where we actually had some of these works read, um, which is why we picked them. Um, we had that at the Bleecker Street Theater, and that went really well. Did you have to kill everybody who's seen some of the shows? Yes, actually. We had to have them <laughs> sign a contract. <laughs> <laughs> If you see this show, we will have to get <laughs> yeah. But um, we, all of us met uh, when we participated in the Lab, Labyrinth Theater Masterclass together a couple of years ago. And we all kind of kept in touch. Um, kept working. Yeah, kept working on writing and, and just kind of getting together and seeing what each other were doing and what, you know. What was going on, and, and that turned into kind of wanting to work with other people and, and bringing more people into the group. Um, it was, I mean, we from the very beginning, it's been very uh, process-oriented uh, to begin with, and there was really no product that anybody had in mind, um, no set goal, just, just uh, the sole purpose of coming together um, trying new things and that's kind of where we got our name new ground is that uh, we all had our primary focus like I'm primarily an actor uh, but you know I I wanted to reach out try writing try directing try different things and so our company is based um, on the idea that uh, you know I think um, who was it that said acting is directing, is, is writing, is art, is life? Um, uh, anyways, um, it's the idea that they're all connected. And we, if we all just come together and try different things, we can create something new. So that's, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> Completely off topic. Yeah. <laughs> Being involved in an artistic community, how much crap do you get for having the name Rosebud? <laughs> Actually, people like it. Um, I like it. I, you know, it's like whatever, whatever crap I get for it, I roll with the punches. So it's, um, you know, I like my name. So <laughs> we call her Bud. Yeah, sure. in the company, they all call me Bud. <laughs> so, what are your goals uh, for the New Ground Theater Company uh, post festival? Post festival, well, we'd really like to start. Um, incorporating more of our own writing into into production and, you know, getting that out there. Um, right now, Glory's piece, um, she's the one company member that has a piece that, that was written for our production, so we'd like to kind of expand that and, and write some more um, and try to get a production going for the fall. We also, we have um, uh, a, a play that by Drew Larimore that we've, that's been submitted. Uh, it's called Verge, and and we may be looking at that. Um, the 
the other plan that we had was to go to uh, New Orleans uh, Festival. So Fringe Fest. Yeah. So we, we've got a lot of different um, options in front of us, and we just right now are taking things one thing at a time. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and we'll take a look at that you know, later on. All right. So uh, as far as the website, where can people go to get information on the performance dates and no other information on clandestine? <laughs> well, we do have some other information. We have, we have some other information. We have the charity that we are going to be supporting oh, yes, for our yes. show, which is Women in Need. Win for short, and um, they provide um, they provide NYC homeless women and families safe and clean shelter and um, support and skills to become self reliant. Um, we're an all woman theater company, so that really was something that we felt strongly about. Um, and all of the main characters in our shows are women. That's another. <laughs> that That's that too much information. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Am I going to have to be killed? <laughs> um, so that you can find that on the website. You can just go to Planet Connections website and uh, search for clandestine in the shows, and you'll see our page um, where we also have listed our green elements of our show, which are basically just you know using as many recycled and um, reused props, set pieces, etc., as we can, and. Um, we're going to be using recycled materials for our postcards and for our marketing and also, um, like, recycled paper for all the scripts and whatnot. So you can see all that there, too. Right. And we can also be found on Facebook. Um, under If you look under Facebook groups, we are New Ground Theater Collective. And also on Twitter, um, you can go to twitter.com slash NGT Collective. And our first show is June 3rd. All right. So now, hopefully, the show won't self-destruct six, se- six seconds after your audience leaves. June <laughs> one and only show. You never know. And, uh, Rosebud Baker and Marielle Matero, thanks so much for coming back and talking, sort of, about clandestine. Thank you. Thank you, Thank Michael. You. Hey. Thanks. On the boards. When you die, do you want your friends dancing on your grave? Well, very lightly, that is the subject of Danny, uh, described by the playwright as a comedy with drama six feet under, and it'll be playing the Planet Connections festivity. In fact, they book end it as the first show opening and the last show closing it from June 3rd to the 27th. And uh, we have playwright and uh, director, co-producer Andrew Rothkin, as well as co-producer Kim M. Jones here with us. How are you guys doing? Great. Great. <laughs> Thank you for having us. <laughs> Thanks. All right. So, Danny, tell us a little bit more. <laughs> All right, Danny. Um, for me, uh, Danny is just a role. It's it's a passion piece. It's a, it's a piece that I've been working on for some time. Uh, I had put it up earlierly, t- earlier twice, uh, and this is my third time. And this time, we're doing it right. Um, it's gone through a lot of shifts and rewrites, just as me and my life, I've gone through a lot of shifts and rewrites, and just being in a different place than I was a decade ago when I first wrote it and first put it on. Um, it's it's a beautiful story that I think a lot of people can relate to. Um, and what is that story? It's about a group of people. They were uh, friends in college, theater majors. So I think if anybody did have a tight group of friends in college, particularly if you did shows together, you could really relate but I think everybody could relate to it. Unless you're the Unabomber. In the <laughs> I bet he could relate. I bet he could get him here. I love it. Um, it's really a sweet, it starts off as a sweet story. It's every year they meet on the same day. 
um, and they sing songs and they tell stories and they celebrate the life of this person. So even though it literally takes place in a graveyard, it's about a picnic and songs and happiness and cheer and it's really a wonderful good time. And little by little, it's not even so much the sadness of the loss of this person, but it's as they get older and they realize, you know, what is it that they still have in common? Um, there's no death really involved much of the death of a person, but perhaps there's death of a dream, death of a friendship. Um, these are just questions that come up throughout. So, Kim, this is your second time uh, working on producing the show, yes, correct? second time, right. So what brought you back? <laughs> well, Andrew, working with Andrew, like, um, is always, it was always cool. And just, you know, because I know him, knowing how to, like, work with him, I know his work, trust his work. Um, you know, he's really a talented writer and director. Uh, you know, I, I love the piece from the beginning. So just, like, bring, when he asked me, like, that he was going to do it again, I said, yeah, sure. And just seeing, like, how it's grown, you know, that's, like, really a plus, like, and a positive thing for me to come back. So, now... Everybody in the festival has, like, a charity that this is uh, supposed to raise awareness for. So uh, what is the charity for Danny? It's uh, PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Throughout, we allude to the fact, and um, it, it mentions several times what, what an animal lover Danny is. Uh, Danny, the, the deceased friend, um, hopefully he's another character in the play. They talk about him so much um, that I really hope that he comes alive you know, to life for uh, the, the audience listening, uh, you know, uh, pun or no pun intended, but that's really what I'm looking for. And, you know, he was a great animal lover. He took in stray animals. Uh, the whole meal is vegetarian, even though he was the only one amongst them who was a vegetarian. So, um, you know, and this is something that, that I've been passionate for for a long time. Um, I knew with this play I wanted to do something regarding animals. And it was actually Kim's idea to bring up PETA, and I thought it was a perfect fit. So what drew you to Planet Connections festivity for uh, this, this iteration of Danny? Um, a number of things. First of all, Glory. Um, you know, I've, I've, Glory has been somebody that I've known and trusted, and um, the word that comes to mind is worshipped. Um, <laughs> I, I've just, you know, I, I've worked with her many times, and I have so much trust in her. So anywhere she goes, I want to go. Um, and other than that... Um, I love the fact that they're doing so many cool things, that it's green, that they have this charity involvement, that they're taking so many steps to, you know, unite people, unite the people in the cast, unite the people, you know, in, in, a, in a way in the world. I mean, the, all these connections that they're making. Uh, I, I was a part of the festival last year, and I'm very glad to be back. So, Kim, as a producer in this festival, are you seeing any different challenges uh, for your work versus the the past version that you were working on? I think um, just being like more hands on, uh, just knowing now. Now I'm more interested in like it's, okay, like seeing what, how the casting works and seeing more how the rehearsals work. So, and Andrew is like is is letting me work work within that in a positive frame. So that's actually like has grown for me too. And Andrew, I understand this will be your first time doing the show, not acting in it. Yes, the um, the, the first two times it went up, I um, I had a little hand in producing, but I did not direct it. I was not the the main producer, and I did act in it. Initially, started off as um, you know, but um, part of my reason for wanting to do it was as much as entertaining the audience and having these things I wanted to say 
was a little bit of a showcase for me as an actor. And just I'm at a different place in my life now where uh, it went up twice and the directors did a great job. But it's really time for me to really mold it fully, to have my vision finally on the stage. Uh, and it feels good. It's a lot more work, but it feels really good. All right. So now the show is playing. Like I said, it's bookings. I understand you're the first show uh, to open and the last show to... At least we're, we're um, we. Cl- I don't think we're the last show to close it, but we're on the last day of the performance. But we uh, of the festival. But we literally are the very first show in the festival. And uh, people can find out the specific uh, performance schedule at uh, Planet Connections Festivity. dot com or at your own website, Danny's Day. Info. You got it. That correct. And uh, wish you the best of luck in the festival. And Andrew Rothkin and Kim M. Jones, thank you so much for stopping by and talking to us about Danny. Thank you so thank much you. for having us. One, la- one last question. If there are any like regional theaters out there who are interested in uh, perusing the script and, and looking at the show any further, is there a good way for them to get in touch with you? Um, sure. Uh, White Rabbit Co. at AOL.com. White Rabbit Co. And uh, bring them on. We're looking for that. We Absolutely. love that. All right. Definitely. Thank you. On the boards. How do you wade through a relationship when you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings? <laughs> well, I have a feeling that's part of what the show, I Don't Want to Hurt Your Feelings, uh, is going to be discussing. Mm-hmm. Uh, from June 5th through the 13th at the Planet Connections Festivity. And we have playwright, director, actor, producer, Emma Koenig. <laughs> yes, that's And me. Peter Rothbard, actor. Hi. I, I, I got nothing else to say past actor on that. Does it feel that's, lonely? No, that's, that's just fine. You could say actor, coffee boy, scheduler, stage manager. Friend. <laughs> Friend, lover. Confidant. Yeah. Ambiguous. <laughs> All right. So first things first, tell us a little bit about I Don't Want to Hurt Your Feelings. Okay. Well, um, it was originally developed at the Experimental Theater Wing at Tisch School of the Does Arts. Does this mean like breaking eggs on yourself and um, dipping in? Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, like, that program is, like, really physically based, more acting, and um, really into downtown, kind of less mainstream kind of productions, which I feel that this is um, a little unorthodox. Uh, And um, it's really about how as soon as you meet somebody, you set up a series of obstacles for yourself that makes it harder to get into a relationship with them, and you become your own saboteur of your (laughs) relationships. And... uh, and the games that we play with ourselves and each other mm-hmm. in relationships. Yeah, so it's, it's really highlighting the games and um, calling it out because I feel like we're performing in our lives for the other person in the relationship. And so this is kind of actually commenting on that and making it into a performance that we're discussing. Yeah, it almost immerses the audience in, like, this mental game that these... The, f- the focus is on two characters, but it starts to expand and you realize... And unravel... Yeah, the entire structure of it unravels and you sort of – the audience suddenly becomes implicit in these games that the characters are playing with themselves. And suddenly you realize that you're kind of a part of the game and you recognize yourself in the characters and in their struggles just to have this simple connection Mm -hmm. that they seem to keep missing because of all – All the the shit. All (laughs) all the shit that comes up. All of the shit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, what drew you to Planet Connections festivity for the show? Um, well, I actually saw a production in it last year, um, which I really enjoyed, uh, from the Shelby Company, and they're doing another show this year. And so that prompted me to apply. And um, I think it's a really cool festivity that it's combining so many amazing things like uh, charity awareness and 
um, sustainability and being eco-friendly, as well as just like giving a platform for all this new work. So it's just a great combo of a lot of <laughs> awesome things. You know, I, I, I got to call somebody out on this. I don't know whether it's going to be every sustainability. And I've got, I, I, I haven't asked, <laughs> what, what does sustainability in the theater mean? Because to me, it means getting enough butts in the seats to keep running. Um, but clearly, there must be some other meaning to the Well, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I guess it is definitely a trend. Everywhere you look is, like, green, this and that. And um, so it's hard almost not to, like, for it to be some, like, cliche of what it means. But I think that, like... Uh, there's so many ways to just um, adjust your lifestyle to be, like, more friendly to the environment. And in theater, there's just so much energy, like, the sets and costumes and lights. It's just, like, and p- programs. Like, every part of it is using so much stuff. And um, I think it's really important to find a way to just... Um, scale back scale in back. every sense. And I feel like so many people who aren't familiar with theater only want to see, like, Wicked, like, huge productions that do utilize all the theater all magic. All our listeners just want to see Wicked. <laughs> Everyone just wants I to mean, see Wicked. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Wicked. I want to see Wicked Yeah, I want to see Wicked, yeah, right see Wicked too. Um. <laughs> but that type of high-budget theater does, you know, there's, there's huge energy that's, that's costs. That's just one just type, that. you know, that there's more than that. And I think um, our like, show especially is, like, very abstract and, like, very minimal set and yeah, costume. Theater, and, you should be able to create that theater magic with a chair and a stage, you uh-huh. know, and bodies in the space. So. Right. And also... And you, still charge yeah. $120. Exactly. <laughs> still right, because at the end of the day, it is about money, right? <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, and also we're, we're, like, having reusable water bottles for our cast and, like, um, printing our postcards on recycled paper and, you know, just, like, small things, but... We should have a plant a tree day as well. Right. We should probably plant a couple trees. We probably will. (laughs) But, yeah, I think it's – I'm, like, very happy to be part of the sustainability movement in any way I can. Absolutely. So uh, what is your charity for this show? The charity is Girls, Inc., and um, it's about empowering voices of young girls, which I feel like is really fitting for this show because – You know, when I see young girls – I don't see that there's any loss of power in their voice. <laughs> I have to plug my ears. They're, like, loud. Well, I don't know if I'm for a charity that encourages them to be louder. Well, I think that, like, as, you know, as a female artist myself, I think it's really important to encourage girls to be able to um, be leaders in their own projects. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, i like, I wrote this show and I directed it and I'm in it. And, like, it's, um, and I feel like... I got a lot of support to be able to do that, and there aren't that many female directors, um, so it's, like, nice to be <laughs> supported in that way and, and to, like, yeah, and I, I, so I was really, like, drawn to an organization that is about supporting girls, supporting young girls, because I feel like it is hard as a girl. Yeah, I mean, like, there is that moment, like, young girls do have a loud voice, I would say. But I feel like this is a lot of them do. At some, but there's some age where, like, you know, society gets to you or, like, your parents get to you and tell you to, like, you know, sit down, be quiet, be nice, cross your legs. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that doesn't, like, that doesn't bode well uh-huh. for a girl's, like, developing leadership yeah. capabilities later in life that also can, and are also just an artistic voice. Like, uh-huh. it's hard for me... And as, as a guy to find my artistic voice, so, like, you know, in mm-hmm. a heterosexist, you know, straight male-ruled society, it must be even harder for, for women, yeah. so. And I also feel like it relates back to the content of the show, that, like, um, 
like societal norms and the gender roles that we've taken on influence our behavior and relationships as well. Mm-hmm. So it's important to think about. All right. So, um, and I understand actually that Peter, that uh, you gave up a very lucrative career for the show. No. <laughs> <laughs> for, the, for the, the show, um, I dropped everything for this. No, I I, I was pre med in college, and um, you know was going to take my MCATs, and then decided senior year that I just wanted to focus more on trying to be an actor. So I decided to forego med school and instead moved to New York and do theater. And then I was lucky enough to to have Emma ask me to be in this show. But, you know, who knows? Life Life's full of <laughs> twists and turns. And I may go back, but for now, I think, you know, I just love theater. And mm-hmm. Who knows what Obama's health care plan is going to do to that <laughs> position and salary anyway, so I may as well just... Yeah, this might end up being more lucrative. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> being a doctor. <laughs> this show. Yes. yes. <laughs> Just you wait. <laughs> All right. So the show runs uh, June 5th through the 13th, and uh, people can find specific dates and times at planetconnectionsfestivity.com. And again, uh, Emma Koenig and Peter Rothbart, uh, thank you so much Thanks for stopping Thanks for having by. us. Thank you very much. Show. Best of luck. On the boards. When you imagine yourself in the wilderness, do you think that it might be the South Bronx schools? <laughs> That's the show, In the Wilderness. Uh, addresses from the 15th of June through the 17th of June at the Planet Connections Festivity. And we have John Kearns, the playwright here, to talk about the show In the Wilderness. How are you doing? Oh, good. I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So, so what is the show, In, in the Wilderness? Well, the show is about uh, the struggles of teachers and students uh, in the South Bronx in the late 80s. Um, and it focuses mostly, mostly on the teachers and it's, uh, their discouragement, uh, how they're discouraged about halfway through the year and talking about whether they want to continue or not. And uh, it also uh, deals with the relationship between the main character, Paul Logan, who's a teacher, and uh, his student, Carmen, who he recognizes as having some poetic talent. She's writing poetry and keeping a journal. And he thinks, well, maybe if he can help her to uh, to be successful, then maybe all the struggles that he's been going through will be worthwhile. All right. So uh, do you, any background or personal interest into this subject matter? Well, I was a teacher uh, <laughs> years ago, uh, and I did teach in the South Bronx around that time. So it's kind of uh, based on some of my experiences and experiences of friends of mine. And uh, you know, th- about th- I worked there for about three years, so it's sort of taking – uh, different experiences over that three-year period and condensing them, dramatizing them, and exaggerating them <laughs> for the for dramatic effect. <laughs> That's called dramatic license. That's... Although there doesn't need to be much exaggeration <laughs> in that. In the, there were some pretty wild uh, stories. What, what are some of your real true-to-life stories from that era? Uh, well, I was I was actually uh, attacked by one of my students. <laughs> one of the first weeks I was teaching there. A girl went for my throat and started throwing books at me and things like that. So that was kind of interesting. That was sort of a baptism of fire. Uh, she had given her a couple of detentions, and uh, she wasn't too happy about it. Do you still have any friends who are teachers in the school systems here? No. Yeah, yeah, I do. I still have some. So, people. what 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 are some of the biggest differences between this the school system in the late '80s and now? Have there been any changes or progress or re- regress or? Well, I think the. Uh, well, obviously, the, most people are probably aware the crime rate has gone way down since those days. I mean, that was uh, when really the, it had the crime in the South Bronx had gotten at its worst. I mean, it was during the crack epidemic. So I think uh, 
I think that's one of the big differences. It's a, the city's a bit safer. But I think a lot, the neighborhood's still facing a lot of the same problems. It's still the poorest uh, congressional district in the United States, which is kind of shocking when you think of all the money that's in this city. Um, but uh, I, I don't know how much, I, mean, I imagine that, uh, the teaching has changed a little bit. I think that maybe the parents are maybe less cooperative than they used to be with the mm -hmm. teachers, from what I've heard. I've heard the teachers will take the, the parents will take the sides of the student against the teacher a lot of times, whereas in the, in the old days, people, you know, if you got in trouble in school, you also got in trouble at home. <laughs> so, I mean, that's one of the major differences I've heard. So how long have you been writing the show? Well, I originally wrote the first uh, draft of it about 20 years ago. And uh, at the time, I didn't have any theater experience, and it was kind of impractical. I had too many characters, and too many set changes and too much elaborate uh, stuff going on on stage. So uh, over the years, I've tried going back and to, to rewrite it. And then just in the past uh, six months or so, I've really focused on rewriting it, cutting it down, simplifying it, and also adding some new scenes because I wanted to add focus more on the relationship between this one teacher and, and one student to bring that out a bit more. So uh, for practical reasons and dramatic reasons, I did a lot of rewriting. It's almost like a new play. <laughs> but you were involved with Planet Connections last year, right? Yes. So what drew you back to them this year? Uh, well, they're a great group of people. It's a great festival. Um, I had uh, had two plays in the Midtown Festival, uh, Midtown International Theater Festival before that, and the, the two previous years. And uh, so I, I worked with Glory in, the, in those festivals, Glory Bowen, who's the artistic director. Um, so uh, I just... Since from working with them, and when I heard that Glory had started the new festival, I uh, was involved last year with resignations, and then uh, they were uh, kind enough to invite me back to to put in the wilderness on stage this year. Although it's a stage, it's a staged reading; it's not a full production. Okay. And uh, so, um, what's your charity for this? It's for called the Mercy Center. It's a, a, a women's center in the South Bronx. It's right in the same neighborhood. And since uh, the school that I'm writing about is was an all girls school. Um, I thought this uh, center that was focusing on, on helping women in the same neighborhood was a appropriate uh, charity to use. So they have um, various programs. They have ESL programs. They have uh, uh, domestic violence prevention programs, uh, parenting classes, all kinds of things. It started as a women's group, women's program uh, shelter, and it ended up I'm sorry, not a shelter, but a women's mm -hmm. center, and uh, eventually expanded into being a family center, as they say. All right. So now the stage reading goes up on the 15th of June and the 17th of June. Yes. And uh, they can find all the specific information at planetconnectionsfestivity.com or you have your own website as well? Yes. It's uh, kernscafe.com. K-E-A-R-N-S-C-A-F-E.com. All right. So, uh, John, I wish you the best of luck in the festival and with well, the show. You. and. Uh, and hopefully you get some of those students to come see your show. <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> All right. So uh, thanks for coming down. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me. On the boards. A Venezuelan playwright is brought to New York City with the Manhattan Project being presented at Planet Connections Festivity from the 6th of June through the 23rd of June. And we have got director-designer Oscar A. Mendoza here with us, as well as actress Barbara Mundy to talk about the program. How are you guys doing? Good. 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 Thank nice you. to be here. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So first things first, tell us about the Manhattan Project. What is the show? Uh, Manhattan Project is a, uh, a play uh, 
written by a, a Venezuelan playwright, uh, Ricardo Garcia, in 1986. And uh, the play describes a situation between uh, two of the scientists from the Manhattan Project at Los Alamos, as a wife and a husband, who has a conflict because of the presence of a lover in a relationship. Uh, they are uh, getting set up for the first atomic bomb testing in New Mexico. And uh, that conflict is at the same time uh, written by an interviewer from a TV show uh, who is interviewing a physicist from the Manhattan Project as well. They started describing uh, the situation and Margaret and Charles, who are those couple, uh, start working according to uh, how the writer is describing the situation. All right. So how did you come to uh, work with this show, I guess? How did you find this this show? The the play or the, or the festival? The, the play. The play. Uh, Ricardo Garcia. Uh, I met Ricardo Garcia in 1989, uh, my university in Venezuela. And uh, we were very, very good friends. Um, um, 2002, 2003, actually, 2003, uh, Ricardo came to New York because he knew that I was translating all his work into English language. And uh, he was so excited about the possibility of uh, having his work represented in a different language here in New York. Uh, after he came here to visit me, he came back to Venezuela and, and he got killed in Venezuela. Uh, and since then, his work became part of my personal life project. And uh, I consider Ricardo one of the most important Latin American playwrights I've ever read. So for me, it's not only a professional compromise, but a personal uh, uh, compromise as well. All right. It's unfortunate to hear that, that story, but um, yeah. hopefully it goes well. Barbara, uh, tell us a little bit about your role in uh, the Manhattan Project. I play a physicist who uh, is part of the, uh, the Manhattan Project, and uh, it's an interesting piece because it's been done in a multimedia fashion. The interview has been videotaped, and that will be presented on screen, and then the characters that we discuss appear live, and then the interviewer and I come back and we both express different visions and thoughts that we have about what's happening, what has happened about the project. And uh, then the couple comes on again, and then we appear at the very end. So it's very interesting that it's back and forth between the two couples. Now, Barbara, I understand we were talking beforehand that you, you had quit doing theater for a long period of time before coming back. Yes. I guess what, what prompted that? What was it? Um, well, I retired. I got married, and I retired for a while and took care of family and uh, not children, parents. <laughs> and uh, then I got unmarried, and so I came back to the theater, which is really my first love. So theater and marriage didn't didn't go well together for you. No, because I spent <laughs> no actually non theater marriage didn't go very well either. <laughs> um, I had been traveling. I'd been on the road for basically ten years, 
So I was ready to just take a little break. I didn't know it was going to be as long a break as it was, but uh, how how long was was your break between? Uh... Oh, it was years. <laughs> <laughs> long enough for you to? Did you really appreciate again when you when you found your way back? Yes, very very happy to be back performing again. Yes, and thrilled to be working once again with Oscar and his company. So, uh, do you find? I, I have. To, I, I would think that the audition scenario is very different. Um, at, like for instance, for guys, and there's more roles at forty than you know at at twenty. You know, I always you know joked. You know, I used to do theater when I was young, and I quit. And I was like, ah, you know, maybe if I'm forty, I'll think about doing you know theater because there were all the young kids have dropped out, and there's more roles available. How, from your perspective, how has the audition scene changed for the the types of roles <clears throat> you're up in the competition? And you're right. There's a lot of people my age who are dead. <laughs> <laughs> Now, there are a lot of people who are, have dropped out who've gone on to other careers, and it's uh, there are there always have to be mothers and grandmothers and parents and aunts and uncles, and so there's always roles. And I think if you can find a, a niche for yourself, it's uh, it's good. There's also a lot more people who are my age who are writing roles for us, so that perhaps there aren't enough commercial roles. There's there are people that are writing plays that have have special roles and a special perspective for people of our generation. So do you find, does that make it at all easier for getting the callback? Are there, is there truly less competition or is it, you know, uh, how does that balance out, do you feel? Um, there's still the same amount of competition. There's, there's less roles. Okay. There's less people, but there's also less roles. So, yeah, it, it's still, the competition is still difficult. But if you can find a group of people that you like to work with, there is more opportunity that way. More things happening, I think. And uh, Oscar, so with your project here, where where are you from originally? Uh, Venezuela. So you are, you are also from Venezuela. Yes. Um, you, you consider you're considering the playwrights, and sorry, I haven't gotten his name yet. Uh, Ricardo Garcia. Ricardo Garcia, uh, you know, such an important playwright. How big of a deal, so to speak, w was he in in Venezuela? Well, there's something. How that, how far reaching was his influence? There's something. There's something that's very particular in in in, in my country, and is that. Uh, Sometimes, or most of the times, the uh, writers that are not published are the important writers, and the ones that are published are the people that are possibly connected with the kind of bureaucracy, because most of the publishers in my country are public, they are not private. So, uh, in his case, is um, and it's something that is, calls a lot of my attention, because it is in his work. Uh, he, he used to get really, really frustrated by the fact that he wasn't published there, but he was well-known. Uh, he was involved in film. He was, you know, a screenwriter. And uh, and and he, he was well-known, uh, but he never got published. So when he got my, my email in 2001 uh, uh, about, you know, the possibility of producing his plays here, uh, he said to me that he was about to retire because he was so frustrated about that. And I, I actually convinced him not to do that because his work is part of my life as an artist. You know, he started rechecking his work again, and he was so excited about it. And he sent to me new stuff and and. Uh, and it's, it's in, in my opinion, possibly the most important Venezuelan playwright the last 40 years.
All right. So, again, the Manhattan Project will be running from the 6th of June to the 23rd of June at Planet Connections Festivity for all the specific times and dates. They can go to planetconnectionsfestivity.com. Do you also have a schedule up at your website? Yes. So that's oscaramendoza.com. And uh, do you have any other information on this website about your process and your work translating? There's a section in my website that is called The Mushroom. So you can click the mushroom website, and you, the, you're going to see that you're going to have a lot of fun. The videos <laughs> and pictures, and uh, you know. All right. Well, again, um, Oscar Mendoza and Barbara Mundy, I thank you so much for stopping by, and best of luck with the Manhattan Project. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank, thank you, so you much. very much. On the boards. In the Untitled Project, and that is the actual name of the production, not a placeholder for a different title at the, <laughs> the program. Uh, the, the producers are inviting the audience in on a more experimental journey into what happens in the creating of playwriting. And I, I think that's all my mind can wrap around in terms of summary. But luckily, <laughs> we have somebody here to help us uh, explain what that all is. We have the director and writer, Cala Vidit, as well as producer-writer, Kevin Davies, here with us. How are you guys doing? We're good. Yeah, we're doing well. Good to be here. So that's right. Producer writer Kevin Davies, right? Yes. You know, you're just going to make a lot of people upset because more and more producers are now going to go, I want that hyphen. <laughs> I'm putting in the money. Yeah, I'm going to co-write. <laughs> we're we're, we're like sort of a hyphenated team generally. Yeah. We, we like to mix our roles up a lot. Yeah, like producer slash writer slash I mean, technical director yeah. slash light up slash yeah. <laughs> Everyone in the company is sort of a writer on this. <laughs> it's true, yeah. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about what is the Untitled Project. Well, um, in the Untitled Project, I think uh, we, we brought a group – I brought a group of uh, theater makers and actors is and writers. Is it we or I? It's 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 well I, no no no, no. Well, I, I I made contact with people because as 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 a lone theater maker I'm I'm really interested in 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 collaborative processes and and um and and working together as we said hyphenatedly um with a group of people to to write and and specifically I think with this I was interested in proposing to this group why don't we sort of do a self-reflection on what it is like to be in this room together and and, and write a piece of theater collectively, which is um, not an easy thing. And uh, so part of the story that that we're dealing with with the Untitled Project is a group of theater makers uh, coming together and and writing a piece of theater and sort of how it unravels slowly over over, um, a period of time when People sort of lose sight of the the divide between work and play. And yeah, I, I certainly have been at many people's houses when we were like writing a show, and I guarantee that that was the most entertaining the show ever got. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully our show is also equally was. as entertaining as it was to be in the rehearsal room. <laughs> um, yeah. Hopefully like, more so. A few joints and like. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. All we did was sit in a room. Not so much yeah. two months later on stage. <laughs> well, exactly, right? So this is what we were interested in showing an audience behind the scenes, sort of a behind-the-scenes look at what, it, what, it's, what yeah. it's like. And I think the challenges, um, especially in, in the theater world today, given the economic situation of theater and uh, what you can create that is compelling and provocative with with just words and space. Um, and 
Uh, and I think that when we were thinking about what, how to create a sort of unique experience as as a theater piece, not just as a play and a story, um, we all sort of gathered and thought about, well, where is the form of theater going? Um, how do we how do we take this this a group of people who who are who bring theater to life, which is this audience that doesn't come in until the last moment. You know, they're not in the rehearsal room until, until um, or not in the rehearsal room at all. They come in at the very end. And how do we bring them into the event? How how does um, how does their role become? How do they become complicit in the creation of performance? Yeah, yeah. and I think um, we were also we we're also really interested in. Um, in um in because with the the state of theater today, like very often, you know, when you know, I tell people I'm like moving to New York to try and like start a theater company, they're like, oh, you're going to be on Broadway. Here they're doing like this musical or that musical, and they're all like movies that have existed. And um, one of the things that we're um, really interested in um, in doing is like kind of challenging the expectations of an audience. Like what like when they go to see a piece of theater, like what are what do they want and what do they get? And also exploring how the pressures of an audience, like trying to satisfy them, trying to tailor like your product to what they expect and what they want, can um, be um, something like challenging and often like even like antagonistic for the people like producing theater and making like work that we're really passionate about. Because you know, in some ways, like we are the products that people are consuming, and um, and that can be a really, really kind of just disjointing process for the people involved in the making of a production. So you know how you get the audience feeling like they're involved in the creation of the show? How? Pass out joints. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do, we do attempt to pass out other, uh, <laughs> other substances yeah. that are they're a little more legal in the country, but yeah. I mean, maybe... You know, no, we're just starting up. Our drug budget is not very high. Maybe like, in future years, you know. Yeah. I, be, I bet people would we pay have... seventy-five bucks to go see an off <laughs> that included that pot. Offered weed, yeah, absolutely. You know, we would. It's like we could like give pits of acid, like as people like pile in the dorm. Well, yeah, that was a big idea of ours at one point. Like this, this show cannot happen unless the acid is handed out, like to each individual walking through the door. Yeah. It's like not going to be that interesting. I mean, I'd rather get that than a program and a playbill. You know. Like, we also just thought maybe if we put um, signs on every seat in, in the Gene Frankel Theater that said, head to the public, you know, so like down the block, they all head to the public. And then on the public door, we have like, head to head to the Lion King. And so we just like <laughs> end up bringing an audience. To, I mean, it's just interesting to think about what what you do when somebody arrives in a space expecting to, you know, for the lights to go down and for an actor to show up and for a play to be staged for about an hour and then for the lights to come back up and for everyone to applaud. What happens when that sort of formula goes amiss, like, you know, like mm-hmm. in some way, um, yeah. either intentionally or non-intentionally? I mean, it's a live medium. That's what's so incredible about yeah. it. Yeah, like we didn't want to make a show that like would easily, like, translate into a movie. Like, in its basic form, like, this show, like, needs to have an audience there, and the actors are interacting with the audience um, frequently. And um, <clears throat> and that's, like, kind of ultimately what I think is, like, compelling about, like, doing theater. Like, the reason why I do theater and not film is because you have the audience there, and you're... And you're together there, like, making something with them, even if, um, like, even, like, in a show where they're not participating. Like, I think that's true, but especially in the shows where the audience is, um, like, I, like sometimes, you know, people are given lines to read or something like that. Or, um, like, we ask for volunteers um, and, like, wait for one that actually, like, wants to volunteer. Like, we don't, like, kind of pressure them. Because um, I think it's interesting to kind of 
push people's boundaries insofar as they're comfortable, like, with you, like, intruding in their personal space or, like, making them a part of something, like... And it's funny, we, um, we did a run of the show um, in Cambridge, um, and it was very interesting to see kind of how much... how people, like, resisted kind of being a part of things or, like, how yeah. much, you know, when... Um, it's kind of, like, ambiguous when the show actually starts. And so you have some people who are kind of just sit there and, you know, like, very, like, erect, who, like, are, like, uncomfortable, like, saying anything. Or they're waiting for something to happen. And um, and we were really interested in kind of, like, both, like, experimenting with what, like, that something that happened was, but also, like, how we could make the audience feel safe and comfortable, like, being a part of of that. And feel like that was compelling and that was, like, why, like, theater was worth seeing. Yeah. So what's, uh, what's the charity that you're involved with for the Planet Connections Festivity? Uh, we're support, supporting a charity called In Motion, which is um, a, a, a wonderful, really um, important charity in, based in New York that offers free legal services to um, low-income women and, and victims of domestic violence. Um, and I think that uh, we were specifically interested in, in working with a group based in New York and sort of having um, developing a more intimate relationship with the charity um, and and figuring out what sort of overlap in themes our our own piece was dealing with um, that could be relevant and a lot of a lot of the show deals with uh, the theme of, of silence and one of the characters and in, in the piece has given up speaking and so she is silent for the entire show. Um, and I think we were interested in that in relation to In Motion's work um, in how silence can be a reaction to fear. It can be a form of protest. It can be a means of communication. Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, the show runs from the 4th through the 13th of June. And uh, the first specific dates, times, information, um, they can everybody can go to planetconnectionfestivity.com. Correct? To Correct. find all the specific schedule, you know, for festival dates and times. And uh, Cala Vedette and Kevin Davies, again, thank you so much for stopping by and wish you best of luck with the Untitled Project. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. On the boards. There have been lots of prominent people prosecuted for war crimes in the past uh, 50 years. Is it that unrealistic to think that one day a president might be up for trial? That is a question asked in War Crimes, being presented at Planet Connections. And we have the playwright of War Crimes, Sergey Burbank, here with us to discuss the production. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. So, uh, really quick, what what is, you know, give us your elevator pitch. What is War Crimes? The elevator pitch. Uh, it imagines us about 10 years in the future. There have been another spate of attacks, and that's been used as a reason to round up Muslims. Atrocities have been committed, and an American president lands himself in the dock at The Hague for those atrocities. And a former guard at one of the camps wants to testify against him to sort of purge his own soul. And meanwhile, anybody who sets foot in The Hague is haunted by this Dutch merchant from the 17th century from New Amsterdam. And so while it has a, a heavy sort of umbrella to the whole piece, I think that, that there's, a, there's a fantastic element that allows us to, to also have a little bit of fun um, and, and relax with, with our own demise in a way. <laughs> Where does the Dutch merchant fit in? <laughs> well, the, the, How did that get into your imagination? Right. Um, I, I'm a bit of a history nerd, and 
you know, while I buff like a, is the word usually associated yeah. with history. <laughs> I try. <right? laughs> um, we we. Uh, Everybody, buff, buff, buff. Everyone was uh, was traumatized by by um, 2001, of course. And what I found in in looking in my readings about our history, even in this city, is that I, I saw that that attack is as a long as the last skirmish in a very long series of skirmishes that go back hundreds of years. People have been killing each other over this ground and what this ground means for a very long time, and. Uh, I I did I wrote this play and as a way to sort of uh, soothe myself and say okay this isn't the end of the world this isn't the end of history this this isn't the end of us this is part of a larger process and to step back and see that was comforting and disturbing all at the same time um, the other part of this play kind of came out of writing of this primal rage I had from two thousand to two thousand eight and. After a while, it's a long time to carry. It's a some long anger time to be you. to be angry, but a lot of us <laughs> were were just so upset with with what was done in our name by the government. And after a while, after so many years of turning them into demons, I looked at our president and vice president. And I said, "What if they were characters? What what if I was an actor? And I am an actor. If if I was enacting Dick Cheney, how would he be looking at the world?" And what I realized was. He has he has an idea that there is this list of countries and people who the minute the United States is no longer the most powerful nation in the world, they are just lined up around the block waiting to get their licks in. And he is guarding against like that day. the president to shoot him. Yeah. Or no, yes. no, no, sorry. That was reversed. Dick yeah. Cheney did the shooting. Exactly. Ah, Shoot them first. All oh, through the hell. But he, exactly. Mm. He shoots first and you know, <laughs> asks questions later. And my sense late, actually is that it's, it's actually much sadder than that, is, is that once we're the, no longer the most powerful nation in the world, I think the rest of the world's going to kind of treat us like a child with a tantrum and, and avert their eyes. And, and that's what happens in this play, is that we are no longer the most powerful country. And and it's not this Armageddon. It's not the end of the world. It's it's sad. We were the world's best hope, and we disappointed them, like a disappointing child. Now I understand you did Planet Connections uh, last year. Its debut year, right? Yes, yes, we that did. What was last year's debut year? It was. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so why did you decide to come back? What I love that uh, Glory Bowen and Jen Bohm and, and the rest of their great staff. What what they do is they have they have a hook. They have an idea for what this festival could be and it's about sustainable theater but as it gets stuck in your head and like wake you up at night ah, how to make it more sustainable (laughs) well it's um it's it's i find it very freeing uh i i think that the the idea of creating there there are two things about creating sustainable theater on the one hand you want to trumpet it you want to say i'm doing all these things because i love mother earth and at the same time you're trying to hide it you're trying to say look i'm presenting the exact same kind of theater in a sustainable way, and you won't even notice the difference. And it's an interesting tension between the two. But the other part about this group that I love so much is they really do foster a community. They, they encourage shows to cross-pollinate. They encourage people to, to see what everyone else is doing. It's not this fringe factory of churning shows in and out. And uh, the, a couple of folks who have another show, they've returned as well. Felipe Osa and Leah Bonvasudo are doing Cake this year. We all worked together for the Planet Connections last year, and we've created this, we've become this kind of perverted troika now, and, I, and I'm dramaturging for their show, and, and we just have a ball. I have a ball working with people that I met 
at the festivity last year, and that's really a, a testament to them. So, you know, whenever you're dealing with a festival, you obviously have certain tech limitations and, you know, lighting plots and sharing stages. How do you feel about the limitations of a festival as far as your creativity as a writer? I love the challenge. I think that when you have, and at my humble level, I've, I've never had all access to resources on every level. But if, if I've had an embarrassment of riches in space or in props on a given production, I find that, that that actually impoverishes my writing because I no longer have to solve that problem. And I think a lot of playwriting, especially for, for live theater, is about solving problems. You're trying to figure out how to tell this story in this space, in front of people right now. And saying that you can only use a certain light plot or you can only, you know, set up in 15 minutes. These just sharpen the way that you're trying to tell the story and you have to embrace it. And as our theater company also mounts its own shows, it's so liberating to be part of something where so much of that infrastructure is taken care of well for you, the way that Planet Connections does. So I, I really do revel in it. <laughs> so, uh, Kenna, you, you asked me to ask you this question. Yes. I, I find no other way to get into this. Uh, why do you call this piece, quote, a soothing apocalypse? Um, I, I like that idea because um, we are holding – and this, this dovetails, I think, with what Planet Connections is, is trying to teach us is that the way that we live our lives now is not sustainable. It has to change. And for – the Sarah Palins of the world, for the drill baby drills of the world, we must prolong this way of life as long as possible. And what I think this play is trying to show is is that our way of life is going to end. Our, and, and change is disturbing and change is scary, but it's not going to be the end of the world. We, we will be all right. We will be different and our world will be different and we will not be the center of our universe. But Everybody can just take a breath and relax and, you know, just ease into to a new way of thinking. Well, now, I know your show is playing from the 10th of June through the 20th of June. Correct. And people can find the specific schedule at planetconnectionsfestivity.org, as well as your own website, coitc.org. Correct. Which stands for? Conflict of Interest Theater Company. And uh, if there's any, like, other regional theater companies, uh, community theater companies out there looking for interesting material, uh, um, uh, can I give them your email to, on the yes. site to contact you? Or? Yeah, they, they can contact us uh, and, and me through the company email, which is conflictinfo at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to get us. All right. So, uh, well, Sergey Burbank, I thank you so much for stopping by, and best of luck in the festival. Thanks very much. Curtain Call. So that wraps up our very special episode for the Planet Connections festivity. Again, our next episode will be the last Thursday in May. And, uh, in fact, over the next couple of episodes, too, we're also going to have a, another inter- interview or two with uh, some other shows from the Planet Connections festivity. So hopefully you'll check that out. Once again, it's planetconnectionsfestivity.com. You can also find the link at broadwaybullet.com if you look at the show notes for Volume 408. Once again, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and you've been listening to Broadway Bullet. Well, I wouldn't want it to be too perfect every night. It is live after all. It is live. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. 
I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc., to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans, if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, Go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.